You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. Our reading today comes from Romans 15, and I'm reading from verse 14 to 33. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and have you assist me on my journey there, after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for, for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and I have made sure that they have received their contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I might be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in the company be refreshed. That God's of peace will be with you all. Amen. Hi again, DPC. Uh, Please pray with me as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would watch over us as we look at your word this afternoon. Uh, Please, by the power of your word and spirit, uh, move in our hearts to make us all the more partners in the advancement of your gospel. For the glory of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. I wonder when the last time was that you got kind of really caught up in a particular news story. And maybe maybe it was the US elections, you were kind of glued to the screen. Maybe it was the AFL trade radio, AFL trade period. And maybe it was just the ongoing story surrounding COVID-19. I wonder what it looked like when you were getting really caught up in that story. I bet if you're anything like me, it had really captured your mind. You just couldn't stop thinking about that story. I bet it had captured your heart. You'd kind of been drawn into the roller coaster of emotions surrounding that story. Maybe it had even captured your imagination. 
uh, so that in any spare moment in your day, you, you found your mind daydreaming about that story. But what did it look like well, when you were really caught up in that news story? Uh, of course, as Christians, we've got a much, much better story to get caught up in. I don't know, not the bad news story of COVID-19, but the good news story of what God has done for us in Christ. Now, what does it look like to, to get caught up in that story, in the gospel story of what God has done for us in our Lord Jesus? Oh, well, the short answer is that it looks like uh, that gospel story capturing your heart and mind and imagination kind of so comprehensively that you actually become a part of the story. You become an active participant in the story. For example, what we've seen in Romans 1 to 11, that when you put your faith in the gospel, you get caught up into the very life of God. Think about it. God the Father becomes your father. Christ, God's son, becomes your older brother. And God the Spirit constantly assures you of your heavenly father's love and conforms you to the image of God's son. Well, when you put your faith in the gospel story, you get caught up into the very life of God. I mean, you also get caught up into the very plans of God, right? God's plan to, to see the good news of the gospel go to the people of every nation, right? The, the people to the ends of the earth might uh, see and trust and obey our Lord Jesus Christ, right? In becoming a Christian, you become an active participant in the plans of God, or what Paul calls in Philippians 1, a partner in the gospel. And in today's passage, we see that Paul wants the church in Rome to be, to be partners in the gospel with him. Right, so he reminds them that being partners in the gospel means committing together to gospel ministry, motivated by gospel ambition, paying our gospel debts, and struggling in gospel prayer. Right, four dimensions of gospel partnership, gospel ministry, gospel ambition, uh, gospel debt, and gospel prayer. So first, let's look at verses 14 to 19, where we see that the gospel ministry is about Christ working through us to offer a people to God who are holy and acceptable in Christ. Take a look at verse 14, right? If you see there, you'll see that Paul shows the experience of a very wise pastor. You know, he starts by encouraging the church in Rome. Uh, of course, Paul hasn't actually been to the church in Rome. We know that. But, but from chapter 16, it's clear that he knows lots of people in the church. Right? So he's fully convinced first that this is a church that is full of goodness, if you remember chapter 12, verses 9 to 21, Paul said there that, that responding to God's mercy by loving others sincerely uh, is expressed in being committed to doing good, not evil. Right? That's what Paul sees in this church in Rome. Right? They are full of goodness, a lifestyle of doing good. And they're full of knowledge. Right? Through faith in Christ, they've come to a deep knowledge of God and the gospel. So Paul writes this letter to them, not because they're ignorant of God and the gospel, but because he wants to increase their knowledge of God and the gospel even more. And of course, their knowledge of God and their commitment to doing good are really just an overflow of them being competent to instruct one another. 
Either the truths of the gospel are known and lived out in this church because every member of the body, right, to, to use Paul's language from Ephesians 4, uh, is able to speak the truth in love to one another, right, to, to instruct one another in the truths of the faith. Right from verse 14, it's very clear that God is at work in this church in powerful ways. But verse 15, Paul's still written to them quite boldly on some points. I'm not sure what Paul's thinking about here. Maybe he's thinking about his rebukes of the arrogant Gentile Christians in chapter 11. Or perhaps his implied rebukes of the boastful Jewish Christians in chapters 2 and 3. Or uh, perhaps his more recent teaching where with regard to the strong and the weak in chapters 14 and 15. Or whatever he's thinking about. What's clear is that Paul has written boldly about some of these things to remind the Romans of them. Which I don't think means that the Romans already knew all the stuff in Paul's letter. That'd be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? The Romans certainly knew the gospel. They had knowledge. But in this letter, Paul's boldly reminding them of all the implications of that gospel. You might say, well, what gives Paul the right to do that. Look at verse 15. Paul says it's because of the grace God gave him to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Paul knows that as Christians, we're not only saved by God's grace, but all of our ministry is a gift of God's grace. Any role that we have in ministry, any fruit that we see in ministry is all of God's grace. So it's all for God's glory. And the word minister there, minister of Christ Jesus, is simply the word servant. Right? Sometimes it just refers to civil servants. Right? We saw that in chapter 13, verse 6, where Paul referred to the governing authorities as servants of God. But here Paul's using it to refer to the priestly service in the temple. And we know that because in verse 16 he describes his ministry as the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. Well, what's Paul's aim in proclaiming the gospel? Well, he says it's so that the Gentiles might become an offering. Well, notice this, Paul's aim in proclaiming the gospel is not just to see lots of Gentiles become Christians, though that would be amazing. It's not even just that they become Christians who are willing to, to give God some of their stuff, you know, a bit of their time and their talents and then their treasure. No, no, Paul's aim in gospel ministry is much more ambitious than that. Right? His aim is that the Gentiles themselves would become an offering to God. But as he said back in chapter 12, verse 1, that they would become living sacrifices who in response to God's mercy to them in Christ are offering all they have and all they are to God. Right? That, Paul says, is an offering that is acceptable to God. He said in chapter 12, verse 1, an offering that is holy and pleasing to God. And Paul knows that this will only happen as they're progressively sanctified by the Holy Spirit, right? progressively conformed to the image of Christ God's Son by the power of God's Spirit, right? Romans 8, 28. 
And notice also that Paul's aim is not just to offer kind of individual Gentiles to God as living sacrifices. His aim is to offer a whole people to God, a people as a living sacrifice who in Christ is holy and acceptable to God. Let's be clear. Paul's aim in gospel ministry is not to make a name for himself. It's not to make a name for his church. It's not to make a name for his denomination. His aim is to offer a new people to God who in Christ are holy and acceptable to him. And Paul knows that if that's going to happen, it's all going to be of God's grace. Look at verse 17. Paul says, I glory, I boast, not in myself, but in Christ Jesus. Paul's deeply aware that any fruit from his ministry is because Christ does it work through him. Verse 18, it's about what Christ has accomplished through him. By God's grace, Paul might lead the Gentiles to a life in which they obey God. This is is where Paul started his letter in chapter 1, verse 5. You might remember Paul said, Through Christ, we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. So so Paul's aim in his ministry is to offer God people who haven't just come to faith in Christ, but but who are are living a life of obedience to Christ, a life that by God's grace is holy and acceptable to God. At the end of verse 18, Paul says he's going to try to do this, achieve that aim by what he says and does. This is like Jesus, who in Luke 24, verse 19, is described as being powerful in word and deed. That's in verse 19, where we see that the powerful deeds that kind of back up Paul's powerful words are called signs and wonders. Right, signs meaning that any miracles Paul performed or were just signposts pointing to greater truths about Christ. Right, wonders meaning that the miracles Paul performed uh, caused people to really marvel at God's power. Uh, so in Acts 2.22, Peter says that Jesus was accredited to us by God by miracles, wonders and signs. And then in Acts 2.43, Luke reports that everyone was filled with awe uh, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And now, of course, Jesus and the apostles didn't uh, perform these powerful deeds, not so that we would all try to do the same as them. They did it so that we would put our trust in their powerful words. They're powerful words that are written down in the Bible, knowing that they really are the very words of God. That we would trust, as Paul said in Romans 1 verse 16, that the gospel really is the power of God for the salvation of all. That's why in the rest of verse 19, Paul talks about where he's been proclaiming the gospel. He says he's proclaimed the gospel from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. Tough name, that one, Illyricum. Roughly modern-day Albania. So Paul says, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. 
which must mean that he's proclaimed the gospel in every part of this region and planted churches in every part of this region, so that now every individual in that region has the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. Being partners in the gospel is about committing together to gospel ministry. And gospel ministry is about Christ working through us to offer a people to God who are holy and acceptable in Christ. Uh, in the vision and commitment email that, that hopefully most of you would have received from me, uh, I mentioned that the DPC is in the process of, of establishing what we're calling a property development fund, uh, basically to, to help us work towards owning our own church building. And of course, it'll be an amazing blessing for us to own our church building, right? Not because gospel ministry is about owning your own building, no, but uh, because, God, uh, because owning our own building will enable us to, to give ourselves all the more to what gospel ministry is really about, right? To, to Christ working through us to offer a people to God who are holy and acceptable in Christ. Uh, in verses 20 to 24, where uh, we see that the way to pursue this great aim of gospel ministry because we're motivated by gospel ambition. Gospel ambition, which is about continually seeking to reach unreached people with the gospel. And we see Paul's ambition in verse 20. Look at verse 20. Paul says his ambition is to preach the gospel where Christ is not known, or literally where Christ has not been named. Which is to say that there's no church in the area that's naming Jesus Christ in their worship. Paul has this ambition so that he wouldn't be building on someone else's foundation. Paul knows that when a church is established in a particular area, it's like a foundation has been laid. In 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10, he says that foundation is Christ. Christ who is known and worshipped in the church. So Paul's ambition is to preach the gospel and plant churches where no foundation has been laid. Now, that doesn't mean it's inherently wrong uh, to be building on someone else's foundation. Oh, well, we see in 1 Corinthians 3 that, that Paul's very happy for Apollos to do that in Corinth after he's left. But still, uh, we don't want to miss the challenge of Paul's ambition here. Right? The challenge is that we should never grow too comfortable in gospel ministry. Right? And never stand still in gospel ministry. Well, you might have to slow down at times, that's fine, but, but not stand still. Because you want to be continually seeking to reach unreached people with the gospel. Uh, in verse 21, where well, we see that Paul finds his inspiration for his gospel uh, ambition from Isaiah 52 verse 15. Uh, this is part of, of Isaiah's most famous servant song. Right? It flows on into Isaiah 53, uh, saying... Uh, those who are not uh, told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. What's the point? The, the point is that, that Christ's ministry as God's suffering servant king, by bearing our sins on the cross, as you see in Isaiah 53, uh, that is a ministry that, that will bring salvation not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. 
What about Isaiah 49 verse 6 says, The light of his salvation will extend to the ends of the earth. Right? People from every nation will see and understand the wonder of who Christ is and what he's done. Uh, so in verse 22, Paul says, uh, This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. Right? Paul's ambition to, to preach the gospel and plant churches all through this region uh, has so far prevented him from visiting Rome because there's already a church there. Why would I go there, Paul's thinking? Paul's priority is always to reach unreached people with the gospel. In fact, if you look at verses 23 and 24, it's clear that, that even now, Paul's only planning to visit Rome because there's no more place for him to do ministry in these regions. And secondly, because he wants the Romans to support him in taking the gospel to Spain. He wants the Romans to assist him on his journey, probably by giving him some money or supplies, maybe even some people for his missionary team, certainly by offering their prayers. It's clear from this passage that Paul really is looking forward to enjoying the company of the church in Rome. But it won't be for long. Right, but because after a short time, his gospel ambition will drive him on to the unreached people of Spain. Right, and it's also clear that he wants the church in Rome to share in his gospel ambition. But I want the same for us here at DPC. See, it's good and right for us to, to enjoy one another's company as brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? It's something we've been largely been deprived of this year, right? But we mustn't allow our enjoyment of one another, our, our comfort with one another, to stop us reaching out to new people with the gospel. This is one of the reasons why I said in that vision and commitment email that the DPC plans to, to start a second service sometime next year. Right, well, we want to cultivate this kind of gospel ambition in our church, right? a shared desire to keep reaching out to unreached people around us with the gospel. But even if it means that some of us have to attend different services and don't get to, to gather together to worship God as often, right? that's a real cost. Right? I understand that. I don't want to minimise that. But when the time comes for us to start that second service, I hope we'll be willing to bear that cost because gospel ambition is about continually seeking to reach unreached people with the gospel. A gospel debt is about providing material blessings to those from whom you've received spiritual blessings. And this is verses 25 to 29. If you're reading this passage, uh, verse 25 is a bit surprising, isn't it? Isn't it? You know, Paul's uh, all ambitious uh, in verses 20 to 24. We, we kind of expect him in verse 25 to be heading straight to Rome. Uh, but instead, he's going in the opposite direction to Jerusalem, right? And he's not even going there to preach the gospel. He just wants to deliver some money to them. Like Paul's co collected money from all the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia. Churches we've heard about, the Philippians, the Thessalonians, the Corinthians. Uh, and now he's delivering that money uh, to the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Uh, if you read through Paul's letters, it's clear that, that this collection is very important to Paul. But in this instance, it seems to be even more important than his desire to take the gospel to Spain. But why? 
Oh, well, look at verses 26 and 27. Paul tells us there that the Gentile churches were pleased, glad to give to this collection. And he says they were right to be glad because this collection is what they owe them. But why do these Gentile Christians owe the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem? How could they possibly be in debt to them? Well, at the end of verse 27, Paul says it's because the Gentiles have shared uh, the Jews' spiritual blessings, uh, so they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. And we saw last week in chapter 15, verse 4, that the Gentile Christians are taught and encouraged by the scriptures that first came from the Jews. Remember chapter 3, verse 2, it's the Jews who were entrusted with the very words of God. In chapter 9, verse 4, we saw that the promises that the Gentile Christians now benefit from were first given to the Jewish patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In chapter 9, verse 5, where we saw that Christ himself came from the Jews. Uh, in chapter 11, where we saw that uh, by faith in Christ, Gentile Christians have been grafted into the kind of olive tree of God's people, uh, a tree that finds its nourishing sap from its Jewish roots. Well, you see Paul's point. Now, these Gentile Christians have received immense spiritual blessings from the Jews, uh, so now they owe it to them to provide material blessings for them. So in verse 28, Paul says, after I've completed this task and have made sure that they have received this collection. Paul wants to make sure that these poor Jewish Christians will receive everything that they're owed. No one's going to be kind of skimming some off the top of the collection for themselves. So in verse 29, Paul says that having delivered the collection, he'll visit Rome in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Which is pretty amazing, but because we know from verse 31 that there's no guarantee that Paul's going to be received well in Jerusalem. But despite that uncertainty about whether he will succeed or not, Paul's confident that the full measure of Christ's blessing will rest upon him. Why? It's not because he's successful in ministry, but because he's humbly committing himself to gospel ministry motivated by gospel ambition and paying his gospel debts. Of course, the most immediate application of these verses would be for us to consider how we, as predominantly Gentile Christians, might support our Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. As those who we've received spiritual blessings from. But a secondary application would be to consider how we might support those we currently receive spiritual blessings from. Maybe even the ministries of DPC. That's part of the reason why we ask DPC regulars to fill in that generous giving form each year. The basic idea is if you're being spiritually blessed by the ministry of DPC, uh, it seems in line with this principle for you to materially bless the ministry of DPC. So let me encourage you to to consider that form. Uh, Being partners in the gospel means committing together to gospel ministry, motivated by gospel ambition, paying our gospel debts, 
And verses 30 to 33, struggling in gospel prayer. Right, gospel prayer, uh, which is about joining the struggle of gospel ministry. Oh, we see that in verse 30. Look at verse 30 where Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Right, gospel partnership is expressed in joining the struggle of gospel ministry in prayer. So Paul asked the Romans to pray three things for him. At first, he says, pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea. The word unbelievers there is literally the word disobedient. So just as faith in Christ leads to a life of obeying Christ, so also a lack of faith in Christ leads to a life of disobeying Christ. Right, essentially, Paul says, please pray that, that my life would be protected from the non-Christians in Judea. Right, and if you read Acts 21 to 26, you'll see the answer to this prayer. Right, Paul's life is protected in Judea, even though he's imprisoned. A second, Paul asks the Romans to pray that the contribution he takes to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. And now we might think that's a given, you know, of course they're going to receive this money, right? But, but Paul understands that to accept a gift from someone is to say that you accept the person giving the gift. Right? So it's actually a pretty big deal for, for these Jewish Christians to accept a gift from these Gentile Christians. Right? It's a concrete expression of how much they've understood the gospel. Right? Accepting gifts from one another as a sign that Christ has accepted them. A third, Paul asked them to pray so that he might come to them with joy uh, by God's will and in the company and in their company be refreshed. It's very clear from this passage that Paul's got his plans. Right? But, but here he humbly submits his plans to God's will because he knows that it's God who rules over all. You can read how God answers this prayer in Acts 28, verses 11 to 16. Well, finally, in verse 33, Paul prays for the Romans. He prays that the God of peace would be with them. The God who, in Christ, brings peace but between all sorts of kinds of people, including between the Jewish and Gentile Christians in the church in Rome. Gospel prayer is a critical way in which you can join the struggle of gospel ministry. So let me encourage you to make regular time to, to pray for our Mission and Mercy partners here at DPC. Well, you got some info about them with your vision and commitment email. And let me encourage you to, to pray for the ministries of DPC itself. I pray personally, pray in your gospel communities, pray at our congregational prayer meetings, at our kingdom prayer and praise meetings. And I hear you all say, but, but all that sounds like a real struggle. And I say, yes, like gospel ministry is a struggle. And so gospel prayer is a struggle. But if I'm honest, I rarely go to a prayer meeting because I really feel like it. But I rarely leave a prayer meeting regretting going to it. Gospel prayer it is about joining the struggle of gospel ministry. Now, what does it look like to, to be really caught up with the gospel of God? 
it looks like becoming an active partner in the gospel. And partners in the gospel are those who commit together to gospel ministry, motivated by gospel ambition, paying our gospel debts and struggling in gospel prayer. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, uh, please uh, work in our hearts and minds this day by the power of your word and spirit uh, to make us partners in the gospel who are committing together to gospel ministry, motivated by gospel ambition, paying our gospel debts and struggling together in gospel prayer. Uh, we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.